Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, good to see you. Good, good to, to see you, Chris. Chris. Well, on this week's show, are gold prices going even higher? Is it time to invest in an RV? And do bags still fly free on Southwest if the bags in question contain 45 human heads? We'll tackle those questions, get a British perspective on the oil spill, and share a few stocks on our radar. But we begin with the week in BP. On Thursday, BP CEO Tony Hayward told Congress that the explosion and fire never should have happened and that he was, quote, deeply sorry. Not to be outdone, Joe Barton, the ranking Republican on the House Energy and Commerce Committee, also apologized, saying that the White House pressure on BP is a, quote, tragedy of the first proportion. Earlier in the week, after a meeting with President Obama, BP executives agreed to put $20 billion into an escrow account to be administered by an independent third party, and the company also suspended its quarterly dividend. Seth Jason, obviously there's a lot there. You're a BP shareholder. What was your take on the week? Well, I think uh, it's just exhausting. I know. know. It's it's, it's exhausting even if you're not a BP shareholder. I, I... I think the news outlets are even getting bored with this. I thought the $20 billion was an okay compromise. I, I think it is a bit of a shakedown because there was no evidence at all that BP was would be unable to pay those claims. So I think this is BP giving in in order to try to avoid sort of a, uh, a President Ochavez situation down the road. And um, <laughs> cutting the good. dividend uh, <laughs> three quarters, yeah, that, that doesn't really make a, a whole heck of a lot of difference. Uh, the, the thing, again, throughout this entire affair that, that astounds me is, is the, the ignorance uh, of our elected officials. I mean, they were, they were grilling uh, the CEO and, and trying to, to castigate him for, you know, not taking a personal hand in well decisions. And of course, this guy's running a, a company worth billions and hundreds of billions of dollars, and that's what the engineers are there for. So uh, there's a lot of... Uh, Showmanship going on. I, I think it's pretty ugly, and and I just can't wait till it's all behind us. James Early, you're a you're a dividend guy. What did you make of the decision to suspend the dividend? Well, you know, I, I think it's the right thing to do, g- given everything. I mean, from a PR standpoint and from a financial standpoint, BP has about five billion in cash, about five billion in untapped credit lines. So they're probably going to have to sell another ten billion in assets, according at least to the Financial Times. That makes sense to me. I think the saving grace for BP, just to extend the question is going to be that these costs will probably come over over many, many years. Uh, but it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot. Yeah, and, and the thing that is still uh, an open question is whether or not criminal charges w- will be brought. And that will change the, the math of all of this. Uh, I agree with, with James that from the PR point of view, this is, it's, a, it's a smart decision for BP to do this. Uh, as Seth said, there's no indication they wouldn't be able to, to uh, make good on these claims anyway, but as a, a way of showing uh, regret, remorse, it probably is, is, is good theater uh, for BP. Well, yeah. and speaking of theater, I mean, the, that hearing with Tony Hayward, uh, was something else. We've seen more than our, our fair share of hearings because we're right across the river from Washington, D.C. Uh, our friend at the Washington Post, Frank Ahrens, uh, one of the best business reporters uh, going, one of the things he reported, 
It was 83 minutes into the hearing before Tony Hayward was able to speak. How many minutes before uh, Joe Barton apologized? <laughs> I mean, apologized for it, the apology. It tells you everything you need to know about what these hearings are about. They're about politicians getting their sound bites in front of their constituents with their their righteous anger. They're not really after answers. But, but the Barton thing was just hilarious to me. It reminded me of the guy that Dick Cheney shot in the face. <laughs> he apologized for all the trouble that he'd caused Dick Cheney. <laughs> all right. So going forward. We've talked about this the, the past few weeks. As an investor, what does BP stock look like to you? Are you thinking about even buying even more shares? Seth, Jason? Well, I have kind of the two-thirds of the, the, the position that I would consider. So I've been watching and waiting a little bit. Uh, as I spoke about last week, I bought a, a basket of, of other companies in this space. And I would probably consider adding that third, but I'm sort of waiting around to see if there's another uh, kind of Armageddon situation. I still think BP is a good buy, but there are those risks uh, that you know that that we do get Ochavez on on BP and, and try <laughs> I, to kill I think it, the, so. this, this financial analyst thing doesn't work out. You should go down to Texas and run for office, <laughs> you know, because uh, it, it's it's a little bit crazy. What's uh, What's going on? So there is the risk that BP get, gets completely crippled. Of course, on the other hand, if, if they cut BP off too much, then there's nobody to pay for that cleanup. James? I would not touch the stock with a 10-foot pole still. I mean, the the, the two big, biggest risks we have are, one, politics are, are very unpredictable, and that's what we've got. And the, the estimates for how much oil is, is gushing out just keep rising and rising and rising. So and, until we get a handle on that, it's just, just too risky for me. We might want to mention they're actually capturing an awful lot of that now and expect to capture an awful lot more, but nobody's remembering that. In an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, Alan Greenspan said the U.S. may soon face higher borrowing costs on its growing debt. The former Fed chief called for a tectonic shift in fiscal policy to contain borrowing. Shannon Zimmerman, what did you think? Uh, how, how much more tone deaf could you possibly be? And why is anybody <laughs> asking Alan Greenspan anything now? It's like uh, asking uh, Mike Brown how uh, Obama's doing on the on the oil spill after after Katrina. To me, it's of a piece with what's going on in lots of uh, very serious meetings with very serious people uh, about the need for austerity and to, to dial back spending to address deficits amid mildly deflationary times. And the problem isn't, you know, uh, uh, borrowing costs. The U.S. Can, can borrow money at re- remarkably low rates. And to the extent that we do pull back and have austerity, well, what are you going to do? You're, you're, you're going to have more people unemployed uh, because a lot of folks are employed today simply because of government stimulus spending. And if you have more people unemployed, you have less ta- in tax receipts. It's just the the wrong way to go. James Early? Yeah, you know, I think it's a great idea for 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. You mean like when Greenspan was running things? It exactly, great with low interest rates, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a little... I guess to the right of Sven here in, in, in <laughs> thinking that I do think we, we do risk inflation. I do think we have a huge Social Security obligation. And uh, yes, deflation is the problem right now. But, but once that problem gets resolved, we have a big inflation problem and a big credibility problem. Seth, Jason? Last I checked, people were rushing to buy treasuries at abysmal yields because they would rather be in U.S. treasuries than in just about anything else right now, which tells you that, that people are willing to loan us money at horribly low interest rates because they trust us more than they trust almost anyone else to pay that money back. That, that, that's exactly right. And it, it, the, if uh, people are deferring to the market, well, the market's saying, hey, don't worry about this. That's just because we're the least drunk driver on the road. You know, <laughs> but that's, the, that's somebody a great else sobers up, whether that's China or something, you know, that could, that could take our, our hegemony. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the headlines this week. Gold hit a record high this week at just under $1,250 an ounce. And guys, you've all been pretty skeptical about gold, and it just keeps going up. So 
Uh, Seth, Jason, do, do you want to take a moment and apologize to my favorite precious metal? Oh, yeah. And I would also like to apologize <laughs> to all those people who went to the casino who won <laughs> money because, you know, you beat the odds. Therefore, it was a correct decision. Now, the, the reason gold is going up is, is, as we've discussed before, there's a fetish for it right now. And because you've got these geezers like Greenspan telling you that there's this <laughs> hyperinflation coming, right now there's a huge industry out there pumping gold. And it's, it's a really strange cultural phenomenon. We don't have any evidence that inflation is coming. Gold is not necessarily a decent hedge against that unless you've got bars in your basement that you think you're going to swap for chickens <laughs> and Alpo when you need it. So, uh, you know, hey, gold bucks, just you know, go have your fun. The, the rest of the world is going to operate over here in reality. <laughs> <laughs> Just email us, goldbugsradio yeah. at fool.com. It, really, it is bizarre. I mean, and we've made this point before that you, know, you have treasuries uh, tracking up and gold at the same time. Those things should not correlate. And the fact that they are, something bizarre is happening in, in the, the gold space. Coming up, AOL demonstrates a fast way to lose hundreds of millions of dollars, and Starbucks makes it more enticing for people to just hang around in their shops. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman as we dig into some of the companies making headlines this week. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are being delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, and the stocks plummeted on the news. James Early, was this the right move? It was, Chris. You know, p- apparently these entities were evil agents of doom all along, <laughs> um, just just contributing to to froth and instability in the housing market. The Come implications on, been, they you're were a so loser helpful. if you don't buy a house, and you know they're they're going to require the biggest single bailout in U.S. history for an entity. It looks like the, the Congressional Budget Office says 389 billion in subsidies through 2019. That's assuming housing prices don't drop. If they drop, it could be even more. So we as taxpayers are on the hook for a lot here. Are yeah. you saying that, because uh, on last week's show, one of the things we talked about was um, our engineer, Steve Broido, is in the process of buying a house. Are you, are you saying that like, Steve was essentially pressured? He may have been brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, how are you feeling? Um, it's going okay. We're now trying to sell a house, too. So if anyone's interested, please email me. <laughs> Drop us an email, radio at fool.com, if you want to buy Steve Broido's house. Seth, what did you make of the news? To me, the takeaway is that even the most incredible business model in existence where you get low borrowing costs and a government guarantee, it, it can still go wrong. Even if you had you know, monopoly or duopoly position, I think that uh, competition finally crept in and then there was this incredible hubris uh, coupled with a bit of ignorance and management. They made the same mistakes that a lot of others in, in that space made, which was building awful models based on uh, outdated uh, misconceptions about what people could pay back. But you know, these the, Fannie, I believe, was an eighty billion dollar company, yeah. and and it's you know it's worthless in a matter of years. And let's remember here, housing is not that great of an investment overall. I think it's about a seven percent return on like a multi decade average I've seen, and even with Fannie and Freddie. So, so this idea that everybody needs to buy a house. Uh, I just don't buy it. A good week for Winnebago. RV sales were up big, third quarter revenue nearly tripled, and the stock was up on the news. James, I'll be honest, I didn't even know Winnebago was a public company, but uh, you're the gearhead around here. What did you make of the earnings? You know, Chris is actually a pretty good public company, and what's neat about these earnings is, is Winnebago sold a lot of the biggest, most humongous, you know, the bus chassis uh, units, too. Uh, stock was up 11%, it's up about 180% from its uh, April of, of 2009 lows. 
you know, Winnebago, like I said, it doesn't have a lot of debt. It, it's riding a, a baby boom demographic that's nice. And, and interestingly, according to Morningstar, more than 20% of U.S. households intend to purchase an RV, which frankly surprised me. So, you know, great. What was uh, that percentage? 20%, Chris. One in five 20. people that, that owns the, a home. Not a, we're in a metro RV. area. I don't think we're in a high RV area, but maybe they're like all the rage. When I, we go, I uh, think our economy's fine if field. 20% of the people in this country <laughs> have 150K to spend on a giant RV. AOL announced that it's selling social networking site Bebo for a reported $10 million. That's a lot of money until you recall several weeks ago when we discussed on Motley Fool Money that AOL bought Bebo a couple of years ago for $850 million. Seth Jason, where did it all go wrong for Bebo? If I'm doing my math right, they made 80 (laughs) times their money? Uh, Yes, only uh, in opposite world. Wow. Uh, You know, there were a lot of social media sites that nobody remembers anymore. There there was the Friendster, we had the GeoCities, and Microsoft has a horrible attempt at one. It's... It's kind of strange to me that everything sort of settled out on on Facebook and Twitter because, of course, MySpace was the huge thing, and I don't know, MySpace seems to be struggling right now. Um, but I don't know. Before we're too hard on AOL, I guess uh, you know they, they felt like they had to be in that space, and there was probably somebody uh, pushing and saying, "We've got to do something, even if it's a terrible decision." Uh, By the number five player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that there's no there's no evidence that even the major players, uh, companies like Facebook and Twitter, can actually create uh, long term you know business models that that pay investors. Well, speaking of Facebook, Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg says she thinks email is obsolete and, quote, going away. She cited a study saying only 11% of teenagers use email every day. Seth, she may be a bit conflicted, but you're not. What's your take? Well, here's the thing. I think I think that we're, we can also say that there are a lot of other uh, products and services that are obsolete based on the fact that only 10 or 11% of teenagers use them. One might be soap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> could be after-school jobs. Not that Axe uh, body spray, though. They yeah, love Axe that. body spray which is probably the wave of the future. Vegetables? Vegetables yeah. are going to be obsolete? Yeah. They already are in my house. Yeah, Whole Foods is going to go bankrupt because only 10% of teenagers actually care about fresh produce. Twitter has become a big hit in Japan where the word tweet translates to, and we're not making this up, mumble. Twitter arrived in Japan in 2008, and now around 16% of internet users in Japan tweet, excuse me, mumble, compared to around 10% of Americans who tweet. One reason for Twitter's appeal in Japan, it's possible to say much more in Japanese with Twitter's 140-character limit. For example, the 11-letter word information requires just two letters in Japanese, and and frankly, that just seems slightly unfair. That's totally unfair. We need Congress to look into it. I think the the (laughs) Japanese should only get 20 characters for their (laughs) tweets. Starbucks will start offering Wi-Fi at 6,700 of its locations beginning July 1st. Shannon, I'm a Starbucks shareholder. Yes. How excited should I be about this? Or, I, I, you should be very excited because really? they finally figured out what I've known all along: loafing can be profitable. <laughs> they, it's a great, it's a great idea. Uh, you know, I, I've uh, uh, been in love with my iPhone ever since I got it. But the login process to, to get on the networks at Starbucks was for a while quite complicated. That's all apparently going to go away. And uh, all the all the internet you can eat, all all the coffee you can drink, that's a great combination. But as a shareholder, yeah. I want people just in and out. I don't want I don't want you bums no, just no, no, loafing they, around my no, store. No, you sit there and they order more exactly. stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is James really? You agree with that? I, you know, I do, and I think Wi-Fi needs to be a commodity these days. I was actually, Chris, in your home state of Maine, and you know, the Holiday Inn Express has free Wi-Fi, but then this this fancy hotel didn't. So I called up and threatened to leave, and they gave it to me. But 
Very nice. Need to, people need to wake up. Should McDonald's follow suit? I they mean, already they have. They, it's, it's free there, too. All over the place? I believe so. Oh, my God. There's yeah. just going to be loafing everywhere. <laughs> it's like Europe over here now. <laughs> All right. Over the next five years, McDonald's or Starbucks? What do you think, Shannon? Oh, always McDonald's. Always? Yeah. You always pick the – if you're going to give me that kind of choice, uh, the binary between a relatively well, – always pick the, the, uh, the unhealthy choice. Uh, James, you're the most healthy person me too. here. Me too. I go with Shannon. Do, do you find uh, like an inner turmoil because you, you live such a healthy lifestyle and you just constantly invest in things that are unhealthy? I have to be intellectually abstract about it, but, but I do, yeah. Okay, so inside you, there's just rage. Oh, yeah, I, almost a rage. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of profit in trail mix? Just beneath the no. surface. Seth, what do you think? Oh, you have to say McDonald's. McDonald's can continue to do business all over the world, whereas this uh, kind of fake Italian uh, coffee bar thing we've got going at Starbucks is is only going to play in a a very few countries. Guys, just in time for Father's Day weekend, we close with this feel-good story. Last week, a Southwest Airlines employee opened three suspicious boxes at Little Rock National Airport and found 45 human heads bound for a medical lab in Fort Worth, Texas. The heads were to be used to help train neurosurgeons. Now, body parts used for medical purposes are commonly shipped by air, but these boxes were not properly labeled or packaged, so that's something for all of you out there to keep in mind when you're packing for your summer vacation. Heads are going to roll over. <laughs> oh, you had to be the one I to say it. I had to do it. Uh, uh, I, without really delving into the whole human head thing, uh, let's go the airport route. Uh, most uh, interesting or unexpected uh discovery you've made at an airport? I discovered Iggy Pop in the uh, airport at Atlanta, yeah. and he was in a suit. I mean, he looked like a respectable businessman you know, from from shoulders down, head up. I think that's He's probably rarer than, than, than human heads. <laughs> I think so. Celebrity signing. Iggy yes. Pop all dressed up. Yes. Steve, what about you? Uh, it wasn't actually me, but my father was, uh, uh, was held in some European airport. He had a 70s mustache, and he looked a lot like a terrorist at the time. <laughs> <laughs> he and my mother were detained, and it was a very, very funny story to hear. <laughs> Uh, I think that's another lesson out there. Just avoid 70s mustaches altogether. It was the 70s. It was the 70s. All right. All right. Then that's defensible then. All right. The guys will be back later in the show to discuss the stocks that are on their radar. But drop us an email at radio at fool.com. Send us your questions. Share your travel-related horror stories, whether they involve human body parts or not. Email us, radio at fool.com. Come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Come fly with me. Let's float down. Coming up. Financial commentator David Quo joins us from London to share how the BP oil spill story is playing over there. Stick around. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. In 1997, The Motley Fool established its first international presence with the launch of Fool UK. Joining me now from Fool UK headquarters in London is David Quo. He's seen regularly on the BBC, Sky, and CNBC Europe, and he's the host of the Fool UK's weekly investing podcast, Money Talk. David, great to talk to you. And you, Chris. So, let's talk about the company of the hour, of the week, of the month, and that's, of course, British Petroleum. Uh, 
I know. You're making the, Chris, you're making the same mistake as everybody over in America is doing. And you're calling it British Petroleum. It's no longer British Petroleum. That is what's causing this rift between <laughs> this side of the Atlantic and your side of the Atlantic. It, was, it hasn't been British Petroleum for 10 years. And because Barack Obama, President Obama, called it British Petroleum... The, the, the politicians on this side are up in arms, Chris. Well, th that's why we're talking, David, because I'm keenly aware of what the perception is yes. in, here in America. But in the UK, what is the perception about BP and the oil spill crisis? Well, you know, when you open the papers on this side, Chris, it's very difficult to tell who the victim really is. I mean, we all know that there's this massive, massive uh, oil disaster over in uh, the Gulf of Mexico, the Deepwater Horizon disaster. And yet on this side, it feels as though we're the victims. It feels as though uh, we've, we were being pinned down by the American uh, politicians, by the American president and the American people, blaming BP for the disaster in, uh, in, in the Gulf of Mexico. And of course, you know, BP is to a certain extent culpable. There was this oil spill, but I think the problem was that BP handled it very badly. Uh, I, I would say so. I mean, just, just recently, uh, after meeting with President Obama, BP's chairman, uh, Karl Heinrich Svonberg, um, said that BP, and this is his direct quote, BP cares about the small people. Now, to be fair, he's Swedish, English is not his first language, but when you take a quote like that and you add it to quotes from BP CEO Tony Hayward, you know, where he's saying things like he wants his life back, um, when people in the UK hear these kind of things, are you just sort of shaking your heads and, and slapping your foreheads and saying, oh, God, you know, they blew it again, or, or are you still defending it? No, we don't defend that, that, that part of things. And we certainly sort of say for a company as big as BP, they really should have a good public relations department and brief these people before they go and open their mouths. And in the case of, as you mentioned, Karl Heinz, Heinrich uh, Svensberg, I mean, to actually refer to the people in the, uh, who've been affected by this as the little people just, just, just makes us cringe, just makes us feel really awful. I mean, we're, we're all crouching down on our, on our haunches now and going, no, no, don't say that. But I think in the whole case of BP, they just handled the whole thing very badly. If you have a disaster like that, you want to be seen to be doing something. And really, I, I would have just mobilized everybody in BP, go down to the shores, go down into, into where the affected areas are, and let it be seen that you're trying to do something, rather than to say, well, you know, we're capping. We understand, you know, that this, this disaster happened many miles down into the ocean so therefore nobody's going to see what's going on how you how you're solving the problem but i think it is very important to have this perception that you're doing something rather than to do nothing you're listening to motley full money we're talking with david quo from fool uk david i want to read you a couple of lines uh from a column in the globe and mail newspaper from canada uh and here's the quote americans think bp boss Tony Hayward is an English tough because he has an English accent. They don't realize he's a down-to-earth geologist educated at schools that Cambridge and Oxford grads would sneer at. Would BP be much better off with an American spokesman dealing with the media? I think so, yes. And I think, you know, in, in situations like this, it is very important to have the right person out there. I know, yes, the chief executive has to be seen to be doing something, but certainly I think you need, you need uh, somebody alongside you who can explain better to the people there what's going on. But I'll tell you something else, Chris. And, and over here, people are scratching their heads and they're saying, why is BP the only company that is being vilified as a result of this? I mean, 
on this side, whether it's the, the, the BP themselves, whether it's their public relations department that's digging up all this information, but they're saying that there are two American companies that are just as culpable. One of them is Transocean, the other is Halliburton. So why is all the pin being blamed on BP? And they're saying, surely we should be sharing this resp responsibility rather than uh, just saying there's one company. I, I know BP is probably the biggest company there. It's, it's uh, the, the fourth or fifth biggest company uh, in the oil sector, so therefore it probably has to shoulder a lot of the responsibility. But to actually pin all the blame on just one company strikes as being just a little unfair. Has there been any thought to what would happen if the roles were reversed and instead it was off the coast of England, a U.S. oil company um, had this spill and their CEO was, I don't know, a, a plain-spoken guy from Texas? And, <laughs> and he was saying that he just wanted his life back? Well, you see, I mean, that's the other thing. Uh, a lot of people, you know, refer to BP as being a British company, but they seem to forget that BP merged with Amoco. And so, therefore, it is an Anglo-American company. And it is just, Ameri just as American as it is British. And people seem to be forgetting this, that this is a global company. I mean, it drills all around the world. And, of course, you know, this disaster happened in America. So, therefore, you know, it feels as though it's going to be a lot worse than, than had it happened somewhere else. Much as I hate to say it, it, it just feels as though because it's happened very close to where you are, it is a disaster. Had it happened somewhere else, maybe not. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with David Quo from Fool UK. What was the reaction in the UK to BP's decision to suspend its dividend? Oh, the shares, the shares shot up about 7 or 8% as soon as it said that. And as you and I know, Chris, um, what the market hates most of all is uncertainty. In the case of BP, they just wanted a line to be drawn under this um, this disaster and I think BP has done that. BP has turned around and said yes, it, uh, it, it will accede to um, uh, President Obama's wishes to have this uh, fund of money, this pool of money, $20 billion, that is going to be put in place and for its shareholders, they will bear some of the pain. So they will not be getting dividends from now until the end of the year. So I think you know these two are sort of very, very good moves on the part of BP itself. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking to David Quo from Fool UK. David, what's a bigger topic of conversation in London right now? Is it BP or is it the World Cup? Oh, it's what I'm watching on the screen right now. Yes, <laughs> it, is the, it is the World Cup. <laughs> it, it is Greece versus Nigeria at the moment. Yeah, that is, that is the big topic. Yes, certainly the, the World Cup is a huge thing over, over here in Europe. And I'm sure over in America now, because you now have a team in, uh, in America. What we couldn't understand was when England drew with America... Why was it seen as a win on the part of the Americans? Because I'm sure some of the, uh, uh, the, the news must have drifted over to America. The headlines read, America wins one all against England. How did that ever happen? David, it's, it's just like investing. It's all about expectations. Uh, <laughs> England is, is favored to advance to the next round. They're, they're one of the favorites to win the World Cup. We're, we're this tiny little country when it comes to soccer. And, <laughs> and so we're huge underdogs. So the mere fact that we would draw with England, I mean, that's where the victory is. Oh, don't, don't, don't come back with me. I mean, you've actually got a pretty good team over, over in the World Cup. And you, you, together with England, are, are two of the teams that I believe will qualify from that particular group. I don't think you'll go much further than that, but I think, you know, you will qualify. Uh, well, as we are taping this uh, while the uh, Group C, which is what uh, the U.S. And, and England are in, uh, uh, the various group matches are still going on. Um, but, David, not only do you have a Ph.D. in chemistry, 
in a previous professional life, you used to be a bookie. <laughs> um, oh. w- uh, is the World Cup like a month-long Christmas for bookies? Oh, yes, it is, because, I mean, people are betting not only on the eventual winners of the World Cup, but also on a game-by-game basis. You can do these spread bets at the moment, where you bet how many yellow cards are going to be issued in one game, whether or not a player is going to be red-carded, in other words, sent off the pitch, how many goals are going to be scored, at what time will the goals be scored, uh, whether or not it'll be a draw in the first half or a draw in the second half. So there's this ongoing betting that's going on, and it is a huge industry. They reckon something like £1 billion will be bet on the World Cup here in, in Britain alone. Now, I was reading in The Telegraph online, England, despite losing to America in that 1-1 match, uh, England is still a 9-1 favorite to win the Cup. As an investor, do you like those odds? Uh, well, no, because uh, I, don't th- I don't think England's going to win the World Cup. My, my tip for the tournament will be Germany, because I've always had this saying that you never bet against the Germans, whatever they do. And in this particular case, I think the Germans look pretty strong. I mean, 4-0 win in the very first game looks pretty good to me. I guess unless you could, you know, go back in time and bet on World War II. But other than that... <laughs> <laughs> yes, we don't mention that over here. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's wrap things up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. And I'll start with buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that BP will change the name of its U.S. operations. Oh, buy, definitely. I think BP will have to change its name. Um, it'll have to change its name to something really cuddly and fuzzy, I think, like um, Lovely Oil Company. <laughs> or Arthur Anderson, because that one's, <laughs> that, that one's free now. Uh, that, yes, it that's is. That's available. Yes, it is. I think they're called Accenture now, aren't they? Exactly. Yes. Okay, so news out this week that Whole Foods is expanding to Scotland. So buy, sell, or hold the future of Whole Foods in the UK. Oh, definitely buy. Yes, I think people over here are really into uh, organic produce. And uh, even though they're going into Scotland, you know, which is a great organic territory, I think they will do very well. Because people are basically um, very lazy. They don't really want to go and dig up their own vegetables. So it's much nicer to go into a supermarket and buy it off the shelf. Is the, is the, the price point going to be a barrier at all for Whole Foods? No, absolutely irrelevant. I think, you know, people will buy any old rubbish that comes out of, a, <laughs> out of an organic food store. I mean, have you seen some of the stuff that comes out of, of, of the ground these days? I mean, carrots are meant to look like carrots, right? In other words, they're kind of gnarled and warped and everything. But these carrots, you know, they come out, you know. And, they're lovely. And, you know, exactly, yeah. People pay anything as long as they stay organic on them. We've got ongoing problems in Greece and some of the other EU countries, including the fact that Belgium's new majority party in Parliament favors splitting Belgium into two separate countries. So buy, sell, or hold the future of the euro. Uh, Oh, good grief. Um, (laughs) That really is a tough one. Uh, Sell, because I think the euro uh, is going to possibly find it very, very difficult. There are already factions within, within Europe itself. There are countries, you know, over in Greece, they probably wish they had never joined the euro in the first place because the Greeks would love to bring back the old drachma and say, let's devalue this. And I think Spain would love to do it with the, with, with the peseta as well, just devalue them because uh, it would give them a much better opportunity to get out of this mess. A lot of buzz that they might soon be engaged. Buy, sell, or hold 
Prince William and his girlfriend Kate Middleton getting married in the next year? Oh, definitely a buy. I mean, the uh, the, the newspapers are full of these two people being so close together now. Um, I think I, I, I would not only uh, buy the fact that they're going to be married, I think I will invest in some kind of pottery company because as soon as these people get married, all these plates will start coming out and people will be filling their, uh, filling their shelves and their, uh, their, their kitchens with... Uh, uh, mugs, plates, any and any old thing, you know, just to commemorate their wedding. So there's an investing opportunity. I think so, yes. And I'll tell you what, what, what else there is an investing opportunity in, and these are the Vuvuzelas. Have you heard them? Uh, those are the horns that are <laughs> at the World <laughs> Cup that, that when everyone blows them at once, it sounds like millions of bees have descended upon the match. That's right, and I think it's going to be the next big thing over here in the UK. Uh, Sainsbury's, which is our third biggest supermarket over here, ordered 75,000 Vuvuzelas, and they've already sold 50,000. They only have 20,000 left, and they reckon they'll clear those by the end of the week. So Vuvuzelas are the future. And finally, he is beloved in the United States and all around the world. And let's face it, BP could use a fresh face on the communications front. Buy, sell, or hold, BP hiring Sir Paul McCartney. Oh, definitely a buy. I think uh, oh, I think Paul McCartney and Wings as well. I think you need to bring both of them in, 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 into, the, into the mixture. And I think uh, uh, Paul McCartney at the helm of BP would certainly be a buy. Ringo? Is there a job for Ringo anywhere? Yeah, he can be chairman. <laughs> he can sit there with his set of drums and he can be chairman. I think the two of them would be great. David Quo is the host of Money Talk. If you are looking for insight on the British economy and investing in the UK, there is no better source. You can get Money Talk on iTunes, and you can listen online at The Motley Fool UK's website, which is just www.fooluk.com. David Quo, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Chris. Coming up, some fatherly advice and the stocks that are on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. You're the best things in life for free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me are trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zirin. Guys, before we get to stocks on our radar, it is Father's Day weekend. Um, we're all fathers, and uh, just wanted to go around the table, um, whether it's your own dad, your father-in-law, a grandfather, a father figure, a coach, uh, what's the best advice you ever got? And it can be about money, it could be about anything. Shannon Zimmerman, I'll start with you. Well, my father-in-law, a long time ago, uh, not coincidentally when I first married his daughter, encouraged <laughs> me to pay myself first. And I wasn't uh, really sure what he meant by that. But essentially, it was just as you get raises, save more or, in, or invest more. My father, uh, who was a paratrooper, encouraged me not to jump out of airplanes. It's uh, apparently heck on the knees. That's Yeah, that's always good advice, no matter <laughs> when that's why, coming. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Uh, well, <laughs> this was, a, you know, uh, he's a veteran. <laughs> James Early? You know, Chris, my dad told me to never become a lawn freak, and that that helped me to prioritize a little bit of my life. So I'm, I'm 
I'm thankful for that advice, actually. A lawn freak. A lawn yeah, freak. Like people are always fertilizing their lawn, always mowing. Lawn one fetishist. guy used to mow it diagonally one way and then diagonally another way to get like the crisscross look, you know? That oh, looks wow. good on baseball diamonds, but I don't think I want that on my front lawn. Seth Jason, best advice? Oh, boy, it was probably something like get the hell out there and mow the lawn, and I'll give you <laughs> it'll give you ten bucks or whatever whatever the going rate was back then. Uh, my parents were uh, my father and my mother both were were good about sort of uh, making sure we we didn't you know have zero dollars, but we had to get out there and work if we wanted anything extra. You know, uh, with my dad, uh, the the most memorable piece of financial advice I ever got um, had to do with the whole notion of being cheap. And just sort of teaching me about, like, look, it's one thing to be thrifty. Don't ever be cheap. Mm -hmm. There is no upside to that. Steve Broido, what about you? I think it probably is advice that came from his stockbroker at the time who said, the first bit of bad news is usually not the last bit of bad news. Oh, that's kind of zen. It is, I know. We were talking about BP uh, a couple weeks ago, and, you know, it, it would be a good time to invest in it. All right, guys, let's get to the stocks that are on our radar for this week. Shannon Zimmerman, we'll start with you. Uh, I am going to go back to the well to talk a little bit about Sprint, which uh, I think I first mentioned on the show uh, almost a year ago, uh, close to. And uh, I have to say, I was right. It was, it was uh, pretty badly. <laughs> wow, beat. it only took you a year to be right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I took a lot, I wrote about it on fool.com too, and took a lot of uh, heat in the comment section because uh, immediately after I started talking about it, it, it tanked. Uh, but it's, it's up about 23% over the last year, uh, which out paces the S&P over that period and still looks very cheap to me. I think that uh, anybody who uh, wants to look into the telecom space and is maybe concerned uh, that, that the AT&Ts and the Verizons and, uh, or, or the Apples uh, of the world are maybe a little pricier than they ought to be, uh, give Sprint a look. Ticker is S, and they're going to play to a down market in a way that um, uh, those former concerns will not. Okay. James Early? Chris, I'm looking at American Eagle Outfitters. This is a company that I like. I, I don't like them just yet because I'd like the price a little bit cheaper, but but it is actually a dividend stock. 3.3% yield. They just raised their dividend 10%, uh, 6.7% insider ownership, which is really good for a company like this. The, the returns, the operational returns have fallen in recent years, obviously, but as things pick back up, if they do and if the price drops, uh, I like it. What's the ticker symbol? AEO. Seth Jason. Everyone should should go out and buy a lot of that stock at, at any price, really, <laughs> from me. <laughs> I was going to say, are you a shareholder? From me, they could buy. Uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, Logitech, which uh, most of our listeners will be familiar with this company if they've ever been in a Best Buy or anywhere else. The, these are the folks that make the mice and the keyboards and all sorts of other peripherals. They're doing a lot with uh, with remote controls that kind of put all of your devices on one remote. Price has come back to around $15 a share recently, but this is a company that makes a lot of free cash flow during good times, and they did also during the bad times. And they uh, they were killed along with everybody else in this sector, uh, but they are making pretty good progress on holding their margins and on getting back on track, and the stock price really hasn't uh, reflected what I think is the potential. So the ticker is L-O-G-I, and... Uh, uh, that's a good one for dad. All right, Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Chris. Thanks also to our special guest this week, David Quo from Motley Fool UK. He hosts Money Talk, a weekly podcast available on iTunes, so check it out. That's Money Talk with David Quo. If you missed any part of the show, you can get it at our website, motleyfoolmoney.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 